Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I'm your host Mark Kaler. And you probably noticed, uh, for those of you that are avid listeners, we've been away for a little bit for the Christmas break, but we are back and we're coming back strong. We have our second female ever on the show today and Jenny Gore Dwyer. Uh, probably uh, recognize the name. Uh, she is Sean Dwyer's mother, uh, episode 11. Um, also, in episode 18, we did the fundraiser in Pat Dwyer's name, which was Jenny's husband. Jenny, how are you today? I'm doing good, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm looking forward to, to talking with you. It's going to be great. I think it's going to be fun. So, uh, when, when we were talking to Sean, he mentioned that Pat didn't have the commercial fishing background, that it came from your side. <laughs> so, let's go back to where you were born and, and how things got started for you. So I was born and raised in Ketchikan, Alaska. I'm the middle daughter of Bob and Eleanor. I have two sisters, Mary, who's my older sister, and Anne, who's my younger sister. So I'm, I refer to myself as the neglected middle child. Um, but yeah, we, we lived in Ketchikan. Um, my, my first job was at an office supply store. And then I I went and graduated to working at a jewelry store and that was when I was 16 and then um, I, I started working at EC Phillips on the slime line cleaning fish. What was your job on the line? The very first day my sister and aunt, my sister Ann and I um, we were taken out into the offload area and we were unloading totes of kings and um, silvers that were troll caught and they were big fish and we were put on the table to unload these totes for two gentlemen that had been working at Phillips for probably 40 years at that time and they expected their fish right now and they wanted it laid out in a certain way and um, uh, we had a very very large learning curve that afternoon about hard work and uh, people kind of yelling at you. <laughs> these two guys just yell. Were these, uh, these, so these weren't head and gutted, these were still they they were they were gutted okay. um and so what happened was and they were iced i mean so what happened Ice was all in the bellies mm -hmm. and... so we had to pick them up out of the totes i mean you know bending over picking up these huge fish and putting them on the table and laying them in a certain way and then um these these two gentlemen would would finish cleaning them you know make sure that they were good for um and then they would uh, fillet them as well. So that first day of work was an eye-opener going from working at a jewelry store where I was mainly dusting glass counters and selling Hallmark cards and all of a sudden I was literally face down in a tote of, <laughs> of fish and trying to pull them up and, and get them on the table. So that was that was our first day and um, uh, apparently we passed the test and uh, I did that for a little while and then uh, moved on to the slime line where we um, cleaned salmon you know uh, were, you the, were you a spoon were you spoon in so my job I was a necker 
Oh. <laughs> so my job was that um, the, the, the salmon would get headed with the machine and they would come down the table and then um, we would clean the gills off and then make two little slits around the neck. And um, then you passed it on to the next person and uh, they would slit the bellies and pull the guts. The secret was though that the necker had to do their job just right or otherwise the guts wouldn't pull out right. correctly. Because they come out real nice mm -hmm. and clean yep. actually. Yep. yep, they come out really clean. But if you're not a good necker, it's really a big problem. How are you at necking? <laughs> I'm pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I, 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 um, I, I did it um, earlier this October. I kind of cleaned a salmon from from head to tail, and I gotta say, my necking skills were pretty good still. still. Pretty good, still pretty good. <laughs> How long did you uh, stay on the slime line? And... I was there for three summers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, were your parents? Did they have uh, fishing backgrounds? My so my my dad um, and my grandpa. My grandpa back in the day, early days of. Um, fishing in Ketchikan owned a fish trap um, and so my dad worked on the fish trap um, there and then he also worked on tenders and saners moving fish um, uh, from the fish traps into town. I don't think we've ever had anybody on the episode that could adequately dis adequately describe uh, what a fish trap is. Was it a wheel or mm -hmm. can yeah. you describe that uh -huh. a little bit? Or? So it, <laughs> They set them up right at the mouths of the rivers, and you know, as the fish go up to spawn, I mean, they swim into this wheel and they they turn around and they plop down just the where current you, is, mm -hmm, is causing the mm -hmm. wheel to spin and just picks up the fish yep, and dumps them, yep, and dumps them, and then they would get loaded into the tenders and taken into town. Awesome, so yeah, so your grandfather owned that, your my dad grand, worked my, it. my dad worked it, and he also saned. Um, he he was a saner, ran boats um, from Seattle to Ketchikan for um, the canneries, too. Um, and my stepdad was a gill netter. Um, he was a, a gill netter out of Ketchikan. So I uh, spent a couple weeks sometime, you know, working with my stepdad, but um, uh the slime line was actually a lot more fun than <laughs> kill netting. You know, I, I started on the slime line in 1992. Oh, you did? Yeah. It didn't last long, though, because yeah. I was a, at that time young and healthy and mm -hmm. could, could throw a lot of weight. So I right. didn't last very long on there. Yeah. Maybe moving product at right. that point. Right. Well, we had a, um, it was it was my sisters and I, and then um, uh, some friends of ours from our neighborhood. And there were, five, depending on the year, there were five, between five and seven of us who would get up every morning, we'd have our breakfast, we'd all meet along the way, and we'd walk down to work, um, because we lived right at the top of the hill from E.C. Phillips, so we would just walk down to work, and um, we were able to walk home for lunch, have lunch, and then um, walk home for dinner, have dinner, and then if we had to go back, um, you know, we just... But we had a really great time. I mean, it was just really fun because you were working with your, your friends and, um, you know, in the summertime, sometimes there were 
cute boys from Seattle that would come up and work on the slime line. Them city boys. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so we, we had a really good time. It's great to be able to, uh, to start that with friends already at your side, mm-hmm. but for those new people that are going up too, it's easy to make friends. Right. Because you're all, oh, we got to work 18 hours today. Exactly. And pushing through and the guy next to you or the girl next to you yep. is doing the same exact yep. thing. Yep. So bonds are built fairly mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. That three month period can feel like nine years. Right. I mean. Or it can feel like three days too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a really good time. It, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and <coughs> so I had, um, we kind of figured out a system because if you were a necker all day, I mean, you know, you just got so sore from doing that repetitive motion. So I had a uh, friend of mine that I worked with and we would switch and, so I was, I'd be the necker and she'd be the belly slitter and the gut puller. And we'd switch back and forth every half hour, every hour. So we were constantly um, changing it up. Changing it up. And, um, but at the same time, you know, down the line, there were friends that I, I went to high school with. And, you know, there was always talking and laughing and joking going on. And, we actually got in trouble a few times from Cliff Phillips because we were having too much fun and he didn't really That's not like what we're that. Here for. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so we'd have to tone it down sometimes, but, um, we, we still worked really hard. We just had fun. Mm-hmm. So three years doing that. Mm-hmm. Where did we go from there? Uh, so my sister, my older sister, Mary, um, was cooking on a tender. Um, at that point, it, she I, she worked there a couple years and then got a job um, cooking on a tender, and uh, she decided not to come back one summer. And I said, "Oh, I'll take the cooking job," and so I started cooking on a tender at the Westward, and we we worked out of um, Foggy Bay, south of Ketchikan, and um, you said on the Westward. Westward. That was the name of the boat. How, how big was she? Oh, um, I want to say maybe 75, 80 feet. She was an old wood schooner. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful boat. Beautiful boat. I mean, it was, and, and again, it was another, just one of those great jobs where you're, you know, we would leave on, on Sunday mornings and, and be back um, on, well, whenever the closure was, usually on Thursday. Uh, so you'd come into town and you'd wait to offload and you might have, maybe you'd have Friday night in town, but then Saturday <clears throat> was filled with uh, buying groceries and, and getting prepared for the next week. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and then you took off at, I think we usually left at eight o'clock on Sunday mornings. That's a lot different than now. Cause a lot of mm-hmm. these tenders, like when Sean goes up, he's, mm-hmm. he's gone for three months. Right. I mean, it's time to go to work and they don't, Right. Well, they're, right. they're out there constantly. Yep. Yep. But this was, um, yeah, just just a different fishery, you know, sure. gillnet fishery down in, in southeast. And a lot of those rivers are like that. They'll have closures and mm-hmm. there's just time, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. How so, long did you do that? Oh, gosh. Um, I want to, uh, three years probably. I mean. Well, was there a cute boy from Seattle that came up? <laughs> Uh, well, you would run into them out on the fishing grounds for sure. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I heard that that's where you met Pat. Oh, tender. well. Or 
so we're not that there was, yet. we're not there yet. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, we're not there yet. But yes, he was the cute boy from Seattle. So, so cooking, cooking on the boat, four or mm-hmm. five guys. I mean, how many people um, on the boat? There were three guys on that boat. Okay. Yeah, and, and myself. It, it, did you work the deck too? Mm, yeah, I was. Um, you know, I wrote weights, and I was the one who did the fish tickets, and. Um, you know, if they wanted to be paid in So in you were the cash. smart one. Because the smart one handles all that <laughs> Yeah, <stuff>. well, uh, <laughs> okay, I'll take that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I would I would settle out the fish tickets and write them a check or give them cash, whatever they wanted. I mean, and that was the other thing back in the day. I mean, we had like $10,000 cash in a cash box that I would, like, sleep with under my mattress um, a lot of it was a cash fishery back mm-hmm, then. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second year going up, uh, we were the 93. Mm-hmm. And I was given a Wells Fargo uh, wrapped bag. Uh-huh. And it was just a bag. It wasn't a box. It was a bag. Mm-hmm. It looked like a mail, like a right. postal service right. bag. And uh, they're like, you need to tell the security when you get into the airport that you're carrying cash. Because you have to disclose cash over $10,000. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, this was $50,000. Holy and I had, I had literally only worked for the company for one year. Yeah. Whoa. And I'm thinking, I'm at the airport. <laughs> Which way do I go? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, it, you was rent a, the room. yeah. it was a cash business back then. Yep. Yep. A lot of it was. Because oh, mm-hmm. fishermen wanted to sell to the person that had the money ready for it. Right, right. And, you know, um, it was, yeah, it was good. And Paul Ohashi, who was the guy that, you know, I would square up my fish tickets with, there were a few days where he was like, yeah, you didn't get it right. <laughs> but, um, you know, the fishermen were always good about um, uh, adjustments. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, ta- I think about that now going, we had like cash money on that boat. And yeah. if people knew, well, I'm sure people knew, but um, it was, it was crazy. Where did you go from there? So, um after that, I was I was in college, and um, I was at Western um, Washington in Bellingham, and going through there. And then I decided I was going to go to Willamette, down in Salem, and because um, I wanted I I was going to pursue a political science degree, and they had a really good program there. So. Um, Anyway, I got really sick the first semester I was there at Willamette and uh, ended up going home and then just kind of rethinking what I wanted to do. And the thing that I loved the most was um, cooking on the boats. So I decided to go to cooking school and I went to Seattle Central Community College and uh, it was a two-year program, but I had a lot of the, um, you know, the prereqs done so I was able to get through it in uh, a little over a year and I went home and was uh, cooking in a in a restaurant at home and kind of was home still catch catch can can. Mm -hmm. yep yep went back to my mom's house (laughs) and uh, cooking in a restaurant at that point waiting for the you know season to start and uh, my mom received a phone call from a friend of hers who owned a tender and uh, he was like I know you have a couple girls that cook on boats I need a cook for the summer anybody home and my mom said yeah one of my daughters is here and uh, so mom got off the phone and and she um, 
suggested, which means do it right now, that I call um, this gentleman back and, and, you know, talk to him. So I went out. His boat was docked about uh, four miles out of town. So I went out there and um, walked on the boat and talked with um, Bob and and we decided that it would be a good fit and and um, he's like well do you want to meet the crew and I'm like sure so I turn around and there's Pat and um, his brother Phil were on the boat and uh, you know it was just that turning around and I'm going okay, yeah, I'll, I can spend the summer on this boat, definitely. <laughs> so um, I know that uh, when you when you interviewed Sean, uh, Pat and I had a really fun summer that year. <laughs> uh, we were in and out of Petersburg a lot. That's where we were delivering our fish. And, and Petersburg is just this great town. And we would go to Keto's Cave and go dancing on the one night that we had off. And... Um, and when the season got over, it was, Pat was going back to Seattle because that's where he lived. He had a house and a dog. And um, my sister Mary was uh, in transition and moved to Seattle, was going to move to Seattle and, and working for a company down there. So I said, I'll come down to Seattle with you. <laughs> and we lived together in this one little tiny bedroom apartment with cockroaches for about six months until she took a job uh, back up in Juneau. And at that point, Pat and I were were pretty a certain, thing. yeah, pretty yeah. certain that we were going to be a thing for a while. And don't tell my children this, but we moved in together. And, uh, you know, they certainly won't be listening. No, no. <laughs> so, and, and that, that was the beginning of everything for for an amazing us. time. Does that revisiting Petersburg is that kind of a little magical then? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's um, yes. I'm, I told myself I'm not going to cry, <laughs> but um, yes, it it was it was just one of those magical times in your life. I mean, everybody has them. I think at one point. Um, and, and for both of us, it was just like, we were young and we were healthy and we were falling in love and it dancing. was <laughs> dancing and, but, but also working really hard and, and what was Pat doing then? Back he was in, engineer. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, on the boat. Yeah. But yeah. when he got, when he got back to Seattle, was he still working then or did um, he have yeah. all that time to dote on you? <laughs> Pat was not a doter. <laughs> um, no, he he continued uh, working on the boat okay, as well. So they, they brought mm -hmm, it down. Mm -hmm. and, okay. Yeah. So I mean, you know, there's always maintenance that needs to be done. And then uh, we we decided to buy a boat. <laughs> we were 25 and 26, and we're like, yeah, we. We should buy a boat and do this. Would that be the Jennifer A? Um, it was actually the St. George. That oh, was that's our right. first boat. Mm -hmm. I knew that. Yeah. So tell us about this experience. Um, so, like I said, we were 25 and 26. We had no money. We had no way to get a boat loan at a bank. But 
Pat's dad worked for um, a company, and uh, at that point, it it was Birkenwald, and it was the largest beer and wine distributorship on the West Coast at that point. And um, the person who owned it, Mr. Smith, was, he helped us out. And he helped us get a get a loan, and uh, um, you know we 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 set up terms to. He basically got the loan from the bank, and then we paid him back. And uh, so we <laughs> we bought this boat and uh, got it ready to go to go tendering. That was that was what we were going to do with it. <clears throat> and then after after we figured we had enough time and uh, you know got things the way that we wanted it it would go crabbing so so we tendered for um, so we bought the boat in 86 we got married in 87 and Brenna was born in 89 Sean was born in 92 and I got off the boat um, right around 1990 uh, just uh, well it was the year of the Exxon oil spill and okay. I, I just was like you know I can't have so were you guys tendering and crabbing then at that point we were just tendering, just tendering. yep okay. doing herring we started in in Ketchikan down um, at, at the Kashyyyk's uh, herring fishery and we worked our way up the coast Stopping in Sitka, and then um, Prince William Sound, and then um, we went over to um, Bristol Bay. Did that, and we worked our all all the way up to Nome. So you did the whole herring run, and then mm-hmm. you did, you did and salmon. And then we as well. we came back down and did uh, salmon in Prince William <coughs> Sound. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for from eighty. From eighty six to ninety, well, for me, yeah, yeah, and Pat continued to do it, and um, you know, I at that point I was home uh, with Brenna, and then you know, once Sean was born, um, well, then we had you know the whole loss of the St. George. Um, she she went down. Um, Pat was home. Pat was home. Pat had just gotten off. It was our it was our first year crabbing, and um, Pat had just gotten off the boat. He was going to make that first trip with the guys, but he he decided that you know he just wanted to let the captain do his thing and not have this owner on board looking over his shoulder all the time. And and uh, so Pat came home and on on their way out they they were lost and still lost mm-hmm. right. yeah six people um, and uh, yeah it was it was it was it was horrible I mean it was absolutely horrible um, you know because they were all friends of ours sure. everybody who who worked on the boat and um, uh, they they didn't find anything from the boat until six months later they found my survival suit out by St. Paul and the boat went down uh, probably about a day out of Dutch and that was all they ever found of the boat and uh, it was... You know, safety was different back then too, you know, um, 
now the boats have so many different mm -hmm. redundant systems mm -hmm. to, for locating beacons and, yeah. Yeah. and notifications. But um, so. At 1990, you're off the boats, mm -hmm. more running up, more running the numbers and handling the business yeah. side of it. So prior to that, do you remember a time when you were out to sea when when you were really scared? Yep. I, can you share that with us? I yes, I can. We were coming back from tendering herring up in um, up in Nome, so we were working our way back up to uh, um, Seward, and. It was, we'd, we'd gone through False Pass, we were starting to come up uh, to head past Kodiak, and I remember, so there used to be a woman named Peggy who would do the weather. Absolutely. Yes. She's talked about a lot on these episodes. Yes. So it was one of those weather reports Peggy mm -hmm, where Peggy was saying, you know, out of Basin Passes the wind will be stronger and mariners take caution and I never really understood what that meant until one day we were there and it was crazy because it was this beautiful sunny day I mean it was a sunny day but you would come up to these bays and passes as you're as you're running up the coastline and you could see like this wall of of water that was just kind of being pushed this way, um, pushed towards the boat. And I looked at that and I was like, what is that? And Pat's like, oh, you know, it's, it's just a little wind and a little water. And I'm going, looks like a lot of wind and a lot of water. <laughs> and we went through kind of the first squall and it was one of those where the boat would go down, 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 down. And then you're thinking, please come up, please come up, please come up. And, and the nose would start to come up. And um, it wasn't a back and forth motion. It was just the up and down, down and yeah. the up. And we went through that first one. And I'm like, I don't like that. <laughs> and... There were probably four or five more um, situations like that. And, and we were traveling with a couple other boats and there was one ahead of us and one behind us. And um, it, it, it was Erling on the Kuprinoff, um, who is an old icicle guy. Um, and and he was like, okay, now you're, watch out for this one. And so we would ride into it and uh, thankfully come out on the other side but I remember thinking I'm getting my survival suit on because the way that the boat went down I mean I was just petrified and finally Pat was like go into the stateroom and just go in and and don't look at anything just ride the boat and um, I did that and it got me through but I have never been scared like that again um, in all the other times that I've been on a boat. But that was very scary. Well, when you're in the wheelhouse, too, the perspective right. is just... Right, right. And we were all in the wheelhouse. <laughs> I mean, because it was like, okay, this is bad. We Did should everybody all... have their orange bag in their hands? <laughs> Not quite, but I was like, I'm putting my suit on. And Pat was like... You don't need your suit. I'm going, I think I need so my suit. So he was calm and mellow? And yeah, he was handling yeah, it? yeah. I mean, he, he just had a sense about um, about stuff like that that he, 
you know, he knew. What about your your greatest time at sea? Mm. What would be our greatest time? I think probably just every time that you're coming in to offload. I mean, there's just such, because we would work and we would clean the boat, so it was clean when we got into town, but, you know, especially on the days where it was sunny and you were coming into town and you've got your tanks full of fish and there's that fresh smell in the air and, you know, the, the, the water's coming out of the tanks and kind of spilling out onto the, to the deck and it was just such a great sense of um, hard work and accomplishment that, that uh, just, and I, I, I can't explain it, but I think that's what gets into your blood about the fishing fishing industry. It's like, you know, you go out and you work really, really hard and you're successful and you come into town and you get to offload everything. And it's like, oh, we did you, it. That was so fun. You mentioned the, the scent, right? And so I think everybody has that story, regardless mm -hmm. of the industry, what they do for a living. But at some moment, their best moment or their mm -hmm. greatest experience, there's a scent mm -hmm. involved. Yep. And five years, 20 years later, mm -hmm. you catch that. Yep. Yep. And it's just that, it's just that coming into town, the anticipation of, of, you know, knowing that you, you did this great job and, and you got money in the tank and, uh, you get to offload and you get to go out and have a good dinner and, um, Go dancing. It, go dancing. Yeah. <laughs> um, we didn't do too much dancing once we had Brenna on board with us, but but you guys were taking the kids up with you. Well, we did with Brenna for sure, um, because she, you know, we were gone for Working. six months. Yeah, so we had her little porta crib in our stateroom, and and uh, uh, once one, so Sean was born. Um, right after the St. George sank and so we had a couple years where we didn't have a boat and so he um, you know by the time we we did have another boat Pat was um, was working in town uh, managing managing we, we ended up buying another boat um, he worked after we lost to St. George, he worked like three different jobs, and one of them was for um, Wild Bill, um, down in the in the um, down on the waterfront. They were unloading tugs and and barges, and Pat was in charge of unhooking the barges and uh, getting that squared away. So still and, by the water. Yeah, and and Bill was his boss, and so that that was kind of crazy how it all comes full circle as far as the industry's small. Right. I mean. Right. The industry small, right? At right. least, at least here in our community. Mm-hmm. You know. mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, so Sean, Sean was out on the boat when we would go up to tender in the summertime. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he mentioned that mm -hmm. he was pretty young when mm -hmm. he was first. He was. Yeah. I think he. I think the first time he was on board was so probably three or four. What was the boat you bought? We bought. Um, well, it was called the Golden Star. And um, it and it was spelled G O L D and then N and then star and 
Oh, was yeah. there a hyphen in there? Or uh, there was or like, just... you know, the, yeah, the two hyphens in between yeah. the ends. And I, we were like, eh, we don't really like the name of the boat. And, and Pat wanted to name it, you know, the big crab killer, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Some big manly name. And so we went through uh, books in Alaska. Uh, um, that referenced Alaska and tried to find a name of a bay or a pass or, you know, something that had meaning t- for us. And we couldn't really agree on anything. And, and one day he said, you know, you should come down and, and look at the boat today. I'm going, Ugh. Brenna's got soccer, Sean's got, I can't come down today. He's like, oh, all right, well, can you come down tomorrow? I said, well, I'll, I'll see. So anyway, I I end up going down to the boat, and he had renamed the vessel. He'd already painted it. He'd already painted it, and um, you know he named it the Jennifer A. <laughs> and I just was like, oh my god, number one, that was awesome. But then number two, how horrible was I? You know, going, no, I can't come down and look at the boat. <laughs> I don't want to see that thing. Yeah. I know you're down there why do I need to come down it's already pretty unpainted yeah yeah so um and Pat was not a romantic guy but but that was a big romantic gesture Mm -hmm. for him and and um and then uh uh when we bought our second boat after he was diagnosed with his ALS uh he renamed it the Brenna A so after our daughter Brenna Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he was the sneaky one. <laughs> it sounds like it. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, obviously, and for our listeners, most of them know who you are. They've mm-hmm. listened to Sean's and Pat's. And, mm-hmm. and uh, how, did, how did that experience come after the diagnosis? Obviously, that was a shock. Mm-hmm. But what pushed him to go buy another boat? Uh, I don't know. Well, I do know. I mean... He had always wanted two boats. I mean, that that was his goal, you know, to have one and then kind of make it successful so we could have another one. And, uh, but he was diagnosed with ALS in June of 2005. And honestly, it took us, Pat and I, a couple months just to digest the news. And we couldn't even talk about it at first without, I mean, literally, we couldn't talk about it because we were speechless and we would just cry. I mean, because we knew what the end was going to be because there's no, no treatment back then, no treatment, no drugs, no, I mean, the only thing you could do was kind of use technology to help keep you alive if, if you chose that. Uh, Pat decided... Or if you could even afford it, right? Correct. Correct. Um, you know, we, we were lucky. We had insurance. Um, so, so a lot of stuff was covered by insurance. But uh, it's a horrible disease. Mm-hmm. Horrible disease. And um, uh, you just kind of... I, I say he melted away. I mean, he slowly melted away because you 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 use lose the use of your muscles and uh, you know everything. He in the end everything had to be done for him. I mean, you know, we 
he he lost the use of his arms and his hands so we had to dress him and we had to feed him and we had to um then when he couldn't walk we had to um you know move him from the bed to the wheelchair to the shower and it, it it's just a horrible disease hearing hearing all of his friends talk about him uh when we did uh, episode 18 mm-hmm. that was hard um, and just because you hear about the kind of guy that he was, and he was the fixer, he was the get it done guy. Mm-hmm. He wasn't have somebody else do it for him. So I, I, I can only imagine someone that, um, that is that kind of build mm-hmm. would have a really difficult time. It'd be the worst way to, to go for someone that was so yep. independent and hands on. Yep. Uh, it was, it was. And, um, he, he fought every progression to the bitter end like when he lost the ability to lose his hands I mean he he was fighting to the end as to try and feed himself tape a fork on my hand yes exactly exactly and um but once he realized that he couldn't do that anymore and he was using up so much more energy trying to do it um, he would transition and be fine. I mean, he and was like, the next fight. you know what? All right, you got to feed me. All right, whatever. And, you know, then when he lost the use of his arms, it was the same way. Now, I understand he liked his whiskey. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> so, well, I'm not saying it's yeah. overabundance of it. But right. I heard once that you might have given him some through a feeding tube. Is that... I, that's absolutely true. <laughs> and maybe more than once. <laughs> no, um, I mean, the thing about it was, was that we tried to live our lives as normally as possible. Um, we, we knew that we were dealing with this horrible thing. And, and it's like I told the kids, I said, you know, from here on out, we have to just come together and do what we need to do for dad. And we have to make it work. And that's what we did. And um, Pat loved beer. And when it got to the point where he he couldn't swallow anymore because the muscles, he couldn't, they were too weak to, to swallow. And he would choke on food and liquids. He, he got a feeding tube. And, you know. Being you, the good wife. You can, you can put beer through a feeding tube. And you can put whiskey through a feeding tube and um so we i mean those were things that he enjoyed before als so there was no reason that he couldn't enjoy them after als and um we have a really good neighborhood that we live in and um there was you know the guys in the neighborhood they would come over um at least once a month sometimes more or or less depending on the progression of the disease that Pat was in and they would have pizza parties and you know they would bring their beer and they would bring their whiskey and and I just I showed <laughs> I showed them how to do it and and, <laughs> and left the room <laughs> I did I would go I I would go downstairs I couldn't leave the house the because of, time. yeah yeah because if, if Pat needed something you know like to go to the bathroom he he wasn't comfortable having his friends do that for him but so um but, but yeah, I mean, you know, they, and it was just like, okay, the only rule is he can't have more than two beers or more than two shots because then he just got 
too relaxed and it was really hard for me to move him. <laughs> now, I know that if I didn't change the topic, we would talk about Pat for the remainder of not only this show, mm -hmm. but the next five. Probably. Because you can keep going. Yeah. But your commercial fishing career did not end then. No. So let's... Mm -mm. We've got about five minutes. Okay. So oh. let's let's go on with that. I okay. Mean, not to pull you away from. Yeah. 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 No. 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 That. No. I. That's a whole whole yep. other story. Um. No. So once we bought the boat, um, Pat was still walking and and able to to maneuver, and so he was he was down there. But as his d disease progressed, um, he he lost the ability to to be able to go on the boats, and that's when Sean came in and kind of became his hands and eyes on the boats. Um, Sean, and Sean was young. Sean was young. He was in high school. Yeah. And uh, he's his daddy's boy, though. Mm hmm. Yep. He and and Brenna was daddy's daughter, too. Oh, yeah. Um, so so it was a it was just a really weird time for us all. But um, you know, Sean would go down and he'd be down in the engine room and he would take video of whatever wasn't working and email it to Pat and Pat would watch it on the computer and he would say, okay, this is what you need to do. And so then Sean would do it. So it was really a, a, a unique time and a, a unique relationship that they had. Um, and, and as as Sean became the hands-on on the on the boat, um, uh, I became kind of more of the the paperwork person. Um, again, Pat right there telling me what to do, <laughs> which you know when you've been married for a while and your husband's telling you what to do, you're kind of going, mm, whatever. Tell me what you want. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah, do it my way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I you remember. You think I'm doing it your way? Yeah. But. Yeah. And and so I would I would type emails for Pat and um, you know do the do the book work and and when when the boats were up fishing and he wanted to talk to him on the radio you know I would hold the mic for him hold the um, so he could talk and and um, but no I mean we we just kept going I mean Pat had had a mission and it was to get the Brenna A crabbing and um, we we worked towards that as quickly as we could. But and did that happen? Not in his lifetime. Mm -mm. Actually, no. I know when that happened. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about when that happened. Yeah. How did and how that happened? So, um, after after Pat passed away, he passed away in June of 2013. We um, we we were approached by. Um, uh, Discovery Channel, Deadly's Catch, and uh, one of the producers had found my blog. I, I write a blog, Krabby. Krabby Mama, which I have not posted in a long time, but I'm like the world's worst blogger. But my New Year's resolution is to, to get going again, so uh, there will be a new blog soonish. Yeah, you heard it here, guys. <laughs> soonish. So a producer read? So found the blog, read it, um, called me and left an answer, uh, a message on my answering machine at home. And she was like, Hey, Jenny, this is Lisa. Um, read your blog. We're looking for a new boat. Um, you know, we're interested in your story. We think it'd be, make, be a good fit. Um, give me a call back. And I'm listening to it going, right. <laughs> the, the, like, 
probably one of my sisters calling me and pranking like me pranking or something. Me. Yeah. Catch yeah. Yeah. So I I just ignored it. And a couple days later, uh, I received a message through my blog and then also another message on my my answering machine saying, Jenny, Lisa, really interested in your story. Give me a call. And I'm like, oh, all right, I'll give you a call. So I called her and um, that was the start of our opportunity to to be on the show. And um, uh, it was crazy because Lisa was like, you know, well, where's the boat and where's Sean? And I said, well, they're down in Ketchikan. And she's like, okay, I'll fly down this weekend. And, you know, we'll, we'll do some testing with Sean and with you and we'll see how you guys are on camera. And I'm going, well, they're out tendering. I don't even know if they're going to be in town this weekend. It doesn't really like work that way. Right. It's like Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. So, but as fate would have it, of course, Sean was in town and, and Lisa came into town and, uh, we, Lisa and I were able to, to meet and talk before Sean got in and we ended up um, going out to lunch and talking about what the opportunity was and um, it's really crazy because when Pat passed away at the memorial service we handed out scallop shells uh, because the St. George was a scallop boat before we we bought it, and there were um, there were a couple scallop shells that were under the under the false deck when we took it off to repair it, and so scallop shells kind of became our symbol of you know resilience. So we handed scallop shells out to everybody at the funeral and just said you know when you're out on the water take the scallop shell and and think of Pat and put it back in the water and so we're we're sitting in the restaurant um which crazily enough um is now the restaurant that became Dwyer's restaurant in Ketchikan <laughs> and we're sitting there talking and I um I told Sean I'm like look at Lisa's necklace necklace and uh, he's like, yeah, I noticed that. And Lisa's like, what? What about my necklace? <laughs> and yeah, it was kidding? a scallop shell necklace. No, I'm not kidding. And she's like, that's crazy. Because when I was getting ready to come down here this morning, she had just flown in from Anchorage. She said, I had two necklaces hanging on my mirror. And one was a peace sign and one was scallop sign and or scallop shell. And she said, I just felt drawn to the scallop shell. And I put it on. And... So I'm a sign person. I believe in signs. Um, and so I just thought automatically that was just like the sign from Pat that we should do this. We should go for it. I mean, he did things outside of the box all the time. I mean, he was really creative and, and really smart. And, um, you know, this would be a good way to... Um, kind of grow the company, but also platform to, for ALS. to raise awareness for ALS. Which you guys have done. And you went way over your 44 <laughs> minutes. We're not done, though. Okay, sorry. Well, just so you know, I was aiming for 44. <laughs> I know, which, I know. Which is a good number for us, right? Yes, four, mean, 4 and 14 are, are, are good numbers, numbers for us. So, yes. um, where are we going from here? 
Well, we are still raising money for ALS Therapy Development Institute, ALS TDI. Uh, it's the world's largest ALS-only research lab in the world, and they're located in Boston. And I started with them, I think in 2008, we started raising money for TDI because they're very creative. They're a small lab. If they if they find something that's working, they're nimble enough that they can change direction and, and go down that path instead of sticking to a path that might not, um, that might not bring anything to fruition. So we, we started raising money for TDI and uh, through, the, through the course of the show and Discovery Channel, they've been very, very generous as far as letting us um, talk about ALS helping us raise money for ALS. Uh, they've, they've donated to ALS research. Um, and all of this money that we have been raising, we now have a drug that is in clinical trial that phase just, one. That just happened yes, here recently. Just happened two months ago. So I was not, I, I was aware of what ALS was. Mm -hmm. uh, I was not uh, affected by it. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't in my wheelhouse, as to say, to keep everything right, nautical right. as we are here. And guys, sorry we're getting off on this. It's just it's it's too too important to not get off on it. But um, and then when I had Sean on, mm -hmm. touched me a little bit and had and decided we had to do a right. fundraiser, mm -hmm. um, which we did. We, we raised. I don't even know what the number was. We raised uh, like forty five thousand dollars. It was a lot of it, in in. One afternoon, I mean, Mark, you did an incredible it's job. Nothing bringing, about me. No, you brought everybody together. But we're going to need to start planning for next year. Yes. Or actually this year. This year, yes. Yeah, and it's going to have to be in May. Few months. Now I have to go to the Bay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we can work with May. <laughs> we're going to have to work with May. Yeah. But yeah, we, we're definitely going to start planning that and, mm -hmm. and working that out. But to pull you off ALS TDI, which guys, look it up. ALS TDI, that's the one we support. But... What would you suggest for young people looking to get into the commercial fishing industry? Because it was magical for you. It was. It was. So how um, would you suggest they go about it? Well, I think... Especially the, young ladies. Right. I I think the way to go about it is, I mean, it's hard harder to get jobs in canneries and cold storage now because it's it's not like it was. It's not a college student job anymore. It's, it's, it's a different job now. Um, but... The, I think the easiest way to get involved in the industry is to, if you want to, go online and, you know, look at Trident, look at Icicle, look at Alaska General Seafoods, um, look at, at Peter Pan and, and apply for a job. Um, and and uh, that's the way to do it. I mean, you have to... Everybody wants to jump on a crab boat and have that crab job. Everybody. That's a tough freaking job. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like I, the first, the first like three days, I was done. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I wasn't done. Right. Because obviously you can't get off. Right. But it's a tough it's job. It's hard. It's hard physically, and I think more so mentally. I, I think that uh, some of the summers I spent on a processing boat mm -hmm. were some of the best. Right. I mean, the sunsets, the sunrise. Right. The, Right. I mean, besides the fact that you're pulling guts or whatever your job right. is. Right, right. 
again, those people you build some immediate mm-hmm. friendships with. Mm-hmm. And the views in Alaska. Right, right. And that's kind of like the, the slime job, slime line job now. Um, uh, and, and that's honestly the best way to get started. Uh, or, you know, if you, yeah, that, that's the best way to get started. And if, if you want to get on a crab boat, you have to have some kind of experience. It's gotta be. Yeah. 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 Yep. All right. So we're way <laughs> beyond our 44 Sorry. minutes. I know that's great. That's great. Uh, Is there anything that you would like to say to wrap this up? I would Especially just, to your kids. Yes. I would just like, now you're going to make me cry. <laughs> um, but I'm first going of, for ratings here. <laughs> <laughs> but first of all, I, I want to say, if you want to learn more about ALS research and, and the exciting, great, great news um, about our, our drug that we have in clinical trial, go to ALS.net. You can, you can learn about it. If, if you're interested in science at all, go to school and become a scientist and help us solve this problem. Uh, but go to ALS.net and you can learn everything you want to know about it. Uh, you can go to ALS.net slash Captain Sean, and we have our own little um, fundraising page there as well. Um, but I think uh, what I want to say to my kids is that um, I couldn't have gotten through everything that I've been through without them, without you guys, Brenna and Sean, and um, you had to go through some really, really horrible stuff. You had to see stuff that no child should ever have to witness or, or, or do. And um, I just want you to know that I'm super proud of you guys, and you um, you you made life for Dad and I um, bearable because we could count on you guys and um, your love and your sense of humor and uh, really did get us through a lot and. I also have to say to um, Sean's wife, Bree, who walked into this, <laughs> you know, who met Sean up in Dutch Harbor, similar story, Pat and I met on a boat and Sean and Bree met um, on a boat, kind of, around, up, a boat. around a boat up in Dutch Harbor. Um, she has, has walked into to all of this that has been going on and handled it with um, grace and and uh, has just become a big part of helping us raise awareness and funds for ALS um, research and it it it's just really great um, you know Brenna Sean and Bree I love you guys and um, I know Pat and Dad are he's super proud of of everything that you guys are accomplishing right now. So Pat wanted two boats. How many boats does Sean want? <laughs> I told him that's up to him. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done that, that search where, you know, you, 
you have no money and you're looking for quarters under the couch cushion. It's it's his turn to do that now. He's going to do fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. And and Brenna, um, our daughter, in, in Mon- she lives in Montana. and Equestrian. She- Mm-hmm. She's she's a horse girl, and she. I didn't stalk you, Brenna. I just <laughs> your mom and I are Facebook friends. I eat yeah, all the I know. Uh, but she's she lives in Montana. She's a, a massage therapist, but is going to nursing school. And kind of her her legacy as far as as um, Pat's disease is that one of the really the only things that helped Pat was. Um, was physical therapy and massage therapy and Brenna saw that and that's just, where she's going and decided that's what she wanted to do and um, you know Pat would just be really really proud of her for 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 forging her own path through all of this um, it's it's funny how how everybody has kind of handled it differently, but um, but both kids have have come out on the other side pretty pretty good. I'm really proud of them. Excellent. I'm sure they're proud of you. Actually, I know, I know <laughs> for sure Sean is. But, yeah. uh, right. Well, I'm gonna stop it here um, as we definitely went beyond our. <laughs> it's easy to do, though, isn't it? It is, and. It's hard when you're a talker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this has been another installment of Galley Stories, our, the first one for the year. Um, reach out to us at uh, galleystories at gmail.com. Uh, questions, comments. Uh, we're still looking for more interviewees. Uh, so if you're out there listening and are a commercial fisherman and want to share your story, uh, write in, contact us. Um, follow us on uh social media. Mm -hmm. Other than that, uh, I thank you guys for listening today. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.